Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks in prime time week two against the New England Patriots. They come away with the last second victory, 35-30 over the New England Patriots. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks stay undefeated in the regular season against New England. And they did it in spectacular fashion with just a final goal line stand at the end of the game. Here to talk about it, former Field Goals editor John Morgan and current Field Goals editor Mookie Alexander. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. What a game. Yeah, an an incredible game uh, on an incredible day of football, really. So many dramatic finishes, unfortunately, so many terrible injuries, but uh, we'll get to that a little later. Well, the terrible injuries, we could even start off with that because, gosh, I mean, it, and it wasn't even just injuries on the field. We had the, the bummer news of James White and his father passing in a car accident right before this game with the Seahawks. Russell Wilson gave him a shout out with White being a former Wisconsin teammate uh, as Russell was getting interviewed as part of his uh, player of the game honors. And then for the Seahawks in this game, Marquise Blair comes down with a really bad knee injury. Bruce Irvin also grabbing at his knee. It sounds less serious for Irvin. He was apparently walking around after the game, and uh, the news was is that he had a sprain, but Blair's going to need an MRI. And uh, that one, it looked serious at the time. And K.J. Wright just diving in at the end of the play to, to make the tackle and ended up going right into Blair's knee. And, John, you never like to see an injury like that, especially come under friendly fire. No, of course not. Um, I'm, I'm certainly happy that Irvin seems like he's going to be okay because that's one position that Seattle seems to be about one deep at. I kind of think his primary job is to uh, kind of stretch the left tackle or whichever tackle he's facing to create pass rush lanes for the rest of the defense. And uh, when Brooks got in there, even though he's got the speed, he didn't seem to have the same kind of pass rushing game. And so I thought it, I mean, Seattle's pass rush does not look like it's going to be particularly great. I think that's, you know, sort of an understatement, right. but it doesn't mean the defense can't be pretty good. And so the last thing they need was to lose Irvin because I think he's pretty much irreplaceable. And so uh, that's honestly, I think it's pretty much good news. Uh, losing Blair, if they have lost Blair, would be terrible just because I love the kid's potential. You never want to see someone go down when they're young and still developing, mm-hmm. but they have a lot of depth, you know, selfishly from the team's perspective. And from a fan's perspective, they have a lot of depth at that position. I wouldn't expect them to uh, suffer from his loss nearly as badly. But uh, I'm thrilled to hear Irvin sounds like he's going to recover at some point this season. Well, as great as Russell Wilson was in this game, I do feel like we need to start with the defense. And Mookie, if I would have told you about, I don't know, uh, around the end of the third quarter, if it was going to come down to a final play, with New England on the Seahawks goal line with one yard to go, Cam Newton was going to get the football. Would you have guessed that the Seahawks would have made the stop in that moment? Uh, no, not the way they were playing. But it, it was it, it, the final play was brilliant by two much maligned players, LJ Collier, kind of unfairly because he was injured for so much of last year and was ineffective when he did play, but also Lano Hill, who had, to me, at least been rightfully criticized for some of his less than stellar play. But Lano Hill's submarine, the fullback, I think uh, Jakob Johnson is his name. And then Collier beat his block and left Newton pretty much with nowhere to go. And also Puna Ford also shed his blocker. So there was a chance that Ford could have also gotten to Newton and, and stopped him at the goal line. But it, it, it was, it, it's hard attack football if you're a Seahawks fan. You expect nothing less. But it was a great finish to an otherwise 
really not encouraging day for the Seahawks defense. The defense struggled as a whole on the day. And after watching Cam Newton week one, I wouldn't have thought that he would have had a 30 of 44 passing attempts and completions ratio, 397 yards, only one passing touchdown, one interception, but he had his two rushing touchdowns on the ground. And then, of course, the other score for the Patriots was on the Seahawks' first drive of the game. Russell Wilson throws a pick six just off the hands of Greg Olson and into the hands of the defender who takes it all the way to the end zone. And the Seahawks were already in a hole straight out of the gate, John. Yeah, and actually, I think you can be somewhat optimistic about that because that's as fluky as it gets. Right. Um, Olson's got pretty reliable hands. I think that we saw in week one that the timing isn't quite right between Olsen and Wilson. And, uh, you know, you're not typically going to see a pass come in, you know, pretty accurate. Uh, may have been going against Olsen's momentum a little bit, but, you know, it hit him in the hands. I'm not going to attempt to justify Olsen not catching that, but you're not going to see it pop up and go right to a defender and be intercepted and returned for a touchdown. I mean, that's when we talk about, Maybe luck is not exactly the right word, but when we talk about non-repeatable events and great plays that don't necessarily tell you more about uh, the Seahawks, at least, because I think you can say at the very least that it certainly shows the the talent and the skill of the Patriots secondary. But as for the Seahawks, it just seems like a worst case outcome for a relatively small mistake. Well, it was interesting that that was Greg Olson's only target on the day for Seattle. Will Disley, the only other tight end to register a catch. So I was a little surprised, Buki, that against this New England defense, they didn't go toward the tight ends a little more in this game. So only two targets on tight ends. Instead, you saw them going kind of at the strength of the New England defense. Yeah, they did. I think Olsen had another target that, that was waved off due to a penalty. It oh. might have been when Wilson was like miles past the line of scrimmage and threw it. But <laughs> right. uh, so it didn't whatever count, the right? case, yeah, Pollister didn't get a look. And really, I love the game plan because Seattle's receiving core has really won me over. It's not just Metcalf and Lockett, but I'm sure uh, John's going to write up on this. David Moore is has really emerged. He went from probably being on the roster bubble to having his contract restructured having a solid week one and a really good uh, week two against New England. That touchdown was a thing of beauty. And also Freddie Swain on his one targets. I initially thought that was Lockett. And, <laughs> I think a lot of us up. did when he caught the ball and turned up field. Yeah, although to be fair, Lockett, especially these last couple of years, he's been way too willing to go down immediately instead of go for the run after the catch. But Swain looks so smooth, smooth on that touchdown. And it was a blown coverage by New England, of course, but still he made the most of it. and. When you consider that Josh Gordon, his, his fate is still not determined by the NFL, and then Philip Dorsett is still out with injury, this really is as talented a receiving core that I think Seattle has ever had. And that's saying something considering the 2012 and 2013 teams still had Baldwin, Tate, and Rice. But this is the best Russell Wilson has ever been. After that David Moore catch in the end zone, Mookie, I was ready to ask the Seahawks to re restructure his contract back to what he was originally supposed to get. That, that was an amazing catch by David Moore to stay in bounds and get the touchdown. Yeah, it was. And I, one of the things that I, I've gotten on Seattle the last couple of seasons is that when they have targeted more, it's usually been in high leverage situations, 50-50 balls. And it was working those first couple of games in 2018. And then it became less and less efficient to the point where you had a sub 50% catch rate. But this instance, that is tremendous fighting for the ball. And also to get that second foot down. I thought for sure that he was out of bounds and that that would be overturned. But 
hitting the pylon, I think, as, as Collinsworth had said, uh, kind of forced more to, to correct himself and just get that right foot down with a little bit of room to spare. So it has me thinking in a way, who needs Philip Dorsett at this right now? That's <laughs> tempting fate, knowing how many more injuries can happen. But uh, the, the future looks bright for Seattle's receiving core. And really, they had to step up. Metcalf and Lockett, of course, are going to be very productive on a week-to-week basis. But I was concerned about who is going to be that third option, depending on what happens with Gordon and Dorsett. But if Moore can be much more efficient with the opportunities he gets, then that really opens up this offense even further when you consider that they're also finding the running backs in space, especially out in the flat. And we'll see in the weeks to come them target their tight ends more than they did tonight. Three catches for David Moore, 48 yards, and the touchdown. Tyler Lockett led the team with seven catches. He had 67 yards. Leading in yards, though, DK Metcalf, 92 yards on four receptions, and a lot of those going up against Stephon Gilmore, the former Defensive Player of the Year from 2019. John, that touchdown, uh, the, the ability of Metcalf to fight through the, the little bit of con- I, I thought Gilmore played that ball really well, and yet Metcalf was able to fight through it get the catch, get the touchdown. It made up for the drop last week, the, the the big drop that he had for me. Yeah, and just briefly on Moore, I think what you're seeing there is a little bit like the opposite of the Peter principle. I think that Moore has kind of settled into a place where he is really excelling uh, kind of versus what the expectations of him were. He's getting uh, weaker coverage players on him. Typically, he's getting less responsibility. I like him getting about three targets. I think that's exactly where he should be. And you know, having six targets and getting six receptions, he has two first downs and a touchdown. That's an excellent play. And so I think he's slowly becoming kind of the perfect third wide receiver. We tend to think of wide receivers in these uh, these great duos, you know, like Holton Bruce and Moss and Welker and Moss again and Chris Carter. But there's always this great third wide receiver when you have this, you know, when you have one of these supernatural offenses. And Moore seems like he at least has that potential because he's not getting paid particularly well. He's got a huge ship on his shoulder and he can dominate against the kind of competition he's getting now. And so I think that he's kind of and he's kind of finally settled to where he really can excel. Uh, as for Metcalf, I think what you see with Metcalf is proof that the foundation of every single route tree is essentially the go. Like if you can challenge a guy that you're going to run right past him they're going to have to adjust their coverage because they have to constantly be wary of the fact that you're simply going to beat them. You're going to get behind them. You're going to score a touchdown. And so Gilmore, who's a fantastic coverage player. I mean, it's, you know, it's silly for me even to have to say it. I think was struggling with Metcalf because every single time Metcalf would enter into his break, there was that distinct possibility. He was going to work some sort of move and could be behind Gilmore and, and Gilmore simply wasn't going to be able to keep up because, you know, there's very few players in the entire NFL who can keep up with Metcalf. But what I liked was that the separation was not great. It was not necessarily a play where you'd say it was a broken play or anything like that. Uh, Gilmore was really right on his hip. It was, of course, another fantastic throw by Russell Wilson, who just drops in the bucket like nobody else in football. But I liked that Metcalf took that. He took the close coverage. He had that concentration. And then he just kind of bullied his way through and got into the end zone. And so I think think that there's really great things coming from Metcalf. I don't necessarily see the comparisons that I think a lot of people like to throw around. But I see a guy who's becoming his own player and that through his incredible ability to threaten you deep is going to be able to find receptions for himself all over the field. An incredible day by Russell Wilson, 288 yards, 28 attempts, 21 completions and five touchdown passes. Mookie uh, just sacked twice, uh, intercepted the one time, but after that interception, it was an MVP type performance from Russell Wilson. 
Yes, it was. And the play calling balance that I think Carol and Schottenheimer pretty much indicated they wanted leading up to this week. This is something that we're probably going to see more often than really establishing the pass, as it were, that version of let's let's Russ cook that Seahawks Twitter likes to uh, bang the drum on so often. But I think we're going to see more of week two compared to week one. And I love how aggressive they were on the early downs. Seattle only had seven third down attempts this entire game. And by staying ahead of schedule, it, it really kept the offense going. The running game was was quite effective in, in getting those short conversions. But even when they're behind schedule, they had a first and 25 um, on the touchdown drive in the first quarter, I think, to, to lock it. Mm-hmm. And they were able to get out of that jam. And that, to me, is a distinct difference from seasons past, whether Schottenheimer or Bevel. And with Wilson, he just – John and I talk about this all the time – he just finds incredible ways to, to, to improve year after year after year. And whether it's making the safe throw out in the flat or readjusting himself in the pocket, uh, he, he's turned into this cyborg. And I think Schottenheimer, as much as he is derided, especially by, uh, I, I would say, the, the the Uber analytics crowd for, for running the ball too much or, or not maximizing Wilson's strengths, he is a quarterback's coach as well. And I think he has to take some significant credit for the way that Wilson has developed into this premier talent over the last three seasons. Five touchdown passes, I mentioned, that ties him with the Seahawks team record of five touchdowns in a game. Uh, that's happened, I believe, five times over the Seahawks history. And John, uh, you have to think that already nine touchdown passes in two games, Russell's got his eye on that season mark of 35 of his that uh, he should probably be able to get past that. Yeah, he sure can. But to me, what I really am most impressed by, because I've been... Ever since Wilson entered the league, he's been able to take your breath away. I mean, the guy's always been amazing. I think that the big development in him is that he started to take away some of the negative value plays. I love seeing him throw the ball away a couple times. Mm. That was nice. It's just so smart of him. If he doesn't want to go into some sort of crazy Houdini act where he's going to stress the defense and potentially get a long game, but also potentially get a really deep sack for him to just throw the ball away. I mean, it, it's it can be kind of a plus value play in the sense that the expected value at that point when they throw the ball away is so low that simply throwing it away is able to salvage some of that value. So I really like that. And my favorite play of the entire game was he threw this little rhythm pass on a crosser to lock it to convert the third. And the pressure was on him, and he just threw it real short over the middle, which is not something I've seen from him a ton throughout his career. And he just connected with Lockett. He moved the sticks. It was like, here's here's Russell Wilson. We know all this stuff about him. We know how fast he is. We know how athletic he is. We know how special he is in so many different ways. We know how great his deep ball is. We know how incredible his read is and how little, how few risks he takes and how incredible his interception percentage is over his career. But now he's doing something like you would expect of the very best pocket passers in the most clutch situation. And like Mookie said, this is a guy who gets better. And in sports, that's not always the case. And so it's it would thrill me if at this point in his career, he just ran away with the MVP award, because here's a guy who, who he doesn't, you know, he, he's, I hate to take sports and try to make big moralistic things about him. But the fact is, is there's always a place in our culture for guys who steadily improve throughout their careers, who become better and better, who are not phenoms who burn out, but are people who, who maybe even at some point get underestimated and emerge at some point better than you ever expected they could be. And so that's what I see from Wilson. I think it's just the coolest thing. I mean, obviously, in my opinion, he's the greatest athlete in Seattle sports history. But even beyond that, for him to be still defying our expectations, still reaching a new level, still mastering things that we didn't know that he could master not that long ago, it's just it's just a thrill to watch. No matter what the outcome of the season, it's an absolute thrill to watch Russell Wilson. 
it is a thrill. And I think a lot of us Seahawks fans remember back to 2015 when Russell Wilson was throwing it downfield. And those were the last two times that he had five touchdowns in a game. It's actually now the ninth time the Seahawks franchise has had a quarterback throw five touchdown passes in a game. This is Russell's third time. Dave Craig did it three times, Matt Hasselbeck twice, and Warren Moon did it once back in 1997. So far, a lot of positives that we've hit on in this game, but there were some negative aspects to this game as well, especially with the Patriots putting 30 points up on the board. We're going to talk about that coming up next. The Seahawks get the win 35-30 against the New England Patriots. I'm joined by managing editor of Field Goals, Mookie Alexander, also joined by John Morgan, former managing editor. John, I'm curious, with the the way that Wilson's playing so far, are you at all surprised that he's been able to put up these kinds of performances, especially when you consider the offensive line? You have Brandon Shell at right tackle, the first year with the team. You have a rookie, right guard. Damian Lewis, who obviously is is struggling through the penalties a little bit, but seeming to hold up pretty well. And then Ethan Posick, a new center as well. Yeah, I think Posick has been very good from what I can tell. Uh, you know, of course, I risk sounding like someone who's uh, cheering on my own cause here, but uh, <laughs> I've always believed in Posick's ability to be a good center. And I think he's looked good. I think the line reads have looked good. It's a kind of a hard thing to read on the fly. I'm a little worried about Damian Lewis as someone who I who was pretty excited, thought that he was kind of a plug-and-play player. He certainly looks like he's got some struggles in pass blocking, uh, so much so that it may actually, I think, down the road cost him snaps. I just think that's the the facts of life in the NFL. You cannot get your MVP uh, quarterback you know, or MVP caliber quarterback. You can't put him in danger. And so I don't know about Damian Lewis. I think we're going to have to wait and see. The guy's super young. Um, you know, even players who do, you know, who kind of plateau at some point in their career almost always develop quite a bit in the rookie season. So I don't want to put any sort of cap on his potential, but he really is struggling in pass protection. I'm seeing it quite often. Um, but as far as am I am I surprised? Am I surprised that he's able to do this with the talent around him? Not really. I think that there is some good talent around him. I think Dwayne Brown is excellent, you know, and when you are talking about pass blocking, you always build from the left tackle out. I think Posick has looked pretty good. I think Upati's a very good uh, pass blocker at the very least. You know, he's he's a little hit and miss in some other elements of his game, but I think he's a he's a big, strong guy who knows how to pick up you know stunts and he knows how to just kind of keep his position and not let guys fly past him. Um, you know, I'm one of the people who think that we have to be at least mindful of Russell Wilson's contributions to the sacks he's taken in the past. I don't think in any way it detracts from his ability as a quarterback, but I think it's his style of quarterback play i think he's one of those guys who's a very high risk high reward player i think he's kind of growing out of that a little bit where you still get the incredible high rewards but you're not seeing nearly as much of the crazy hold your breath what's going to happen here it could go our way or it could go completely the other way kind of situation um but no i'm not really surprised i think lots of teams have certain liabilities in their pass blocking i don't think it's that uncommon for a team to have a relatively weaker pass blocking on the right side uh, the Seahawks have been very good at finding receivers, and uh, Metcalf looks like he's got superstar potential. Lockett is, at the very least, a star. I think he's one of those guys that, because Seattle doesn't pass as much, uh, he gets a little bit underestimated. But I think this is within Wilson. I mean, if you are a great quarterback who has the right complementary players around you and you've been in the system for a while, there's this potential. Um, it's always surprising with anyone 
has a season start like Wilson has. I mean, no one should be expected to do that. But I don't think that's anything that's unsustainable. I don't think that he's going to be held back by the rest of the Seahawks team. Russell Wilson finished second among the Seahawks rushers on the ground, 39 yards, five attempts. He had the one 21-yard run in this game. Chris Carson, 17 carries, 72 yards. You touched on this a little bit before, Mookie, about this being a much more balanced approach for the Seahawks. Yet at the same time, you know, late in the game, uh, they were going three and out, and one of those, and and they had third and one, and he goes downfield to Tyler Lockett, and uh, when they just needed a yard to to help close out the game at the end. Yeah, that was an irritating play because New England <laughs> still had all of its timeouts. Now I kind of get the call because if you complete that, it's not game over, but at least you're in field goal range. If you go three downs and you got to kick a field goal, you could go up by eight, and then the Patriots got to go however many yards and a lot less time and they can only tie the game. But the, the risk is not worth the reward because if you have an incomplete pass, New England gets to preserve its timeouts, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, in fact, what they only used one timeout, I think, on the Carson second down run. And I should add, as, as good a game as Carson had, I really wish he did not slide as early as he did on that first down run. I know you want to yeah. preserve, yeah, I, I preserve clock, but he left yards on the field, and wouldn't you know it, the failure to get a yard... Uh, made this game a lot more nervy than it had to be. But um, yeah, it, it was not a good play call. I will say, if I look at it again, there might have been a combination of a bad snap and maybe a little tug on Lockett's shoulder. But um, I'm just glad it didn't cost Seattle at the end because <laughs> I know that the takes would have been flowing that Seattle should not have let Russ cook on third down and one. And I would have just been th- destroying my monitor. And what did Schottenheimer call it this week? He called it the uh, the... Ah, the slogan <laughs> Schottenheimer called it referred to it as the slogan uh, let Russ cook I think there's a lot of places where you could point to in this game that was if you would have thought they were going more toward the analytic style of of going for it more on fourth downs they had a fourth and five on the 42 yard line where they punted I think late in the first half um, I don't know if that was the one where Dixon downed it on the one yard line, though. But I, I think we can't go through this podcast and not mention Michael Dixon and his amazing punt to, to keep Cam from having any kind of two minute offense at the end of the, the first half. Yeah, that was a perfect punt, right? I mean, I don't know if you can repeat that kind of thing, but uh, it, it was about as perfect as a punt could possibly yeah, be. It, it just needs to be recognized. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I, I know Brian Schneider is not with the team at, at the moment and for reasons unknown. Hopefully everything's all right with him. But through these two weeks, I'm glad to say that the Seahawks special teams does not look like a crippling liability that it has been over the past few years because Dixon has punted fairly well through two games. And both Moore and Homer look at least like capable return men because Lockett, as great a return man as he was in his first two years in the league, had just been a net negative the last two seasons or three seasons, arguably. So David Moore especially looks smoother on his punt returns than I think Homer does on his kick returns. But Homer had a big kick return that Seattle was unable to cash in on. But Moore also had a pretty good punt return that I think led to a touchdown for the Seahawks. So, um, yeah, if they can get even above league average special teams by DVOA, I will take that 10 times out of 10 because these last few years, I think it has cost them games, whether indirectly or, or, or directly. But there's no need for me to, to worry compared to the last couple of seasons where everything was just going wrong with field goal kicking or bad punts or bad coverages. When we think about what is going to cost this team games, Mookie, what do you point to on defense? Do you point to the pass rush or are you maybe starting to wonder about the secondary? 
Yeah, uh, let's talk about the idea of build a strong secondary uh, to make up for the lack of a pass rush because it is really looking like the secondary is not all that much better than last season. Now, Jamal Adams had some impact plays stopping Newton on the two-point conversion, which is a hidden big play of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, a, I think he had the only sack of the game too for, for Seattle, and he, he made some tackles for losses in the backfield. But going downhill, he's much better than when he's in pass coverage because Julian Edelman took his lunch money. I mean, you, you can't take the New York Jet out of him, I suppose, uh, when it comes to the pass defense because that was not a sparkling performance overall from Adams. I think we got to acknowledge that was not a particularly good game, despite what the stats would suggest. Right. Um, but Dunbar, at least he got the interception. He should have had two, really. Uh, but he is playing very, very conservatively off the line. He's allowing tons of space. I think Griffin had a, had a decent enough game. I don't. I didn't remember Newton targeting him a whole lot of times. But uh, when Diggs went out, and I thought the ejection was actually justified. It's a very reckless hit by Diggs. It wasn't like I think he meant it to KO him. But it was yeah, certainly he, he went not in a with his look. eyes up and kind of turned his head sideways as he was going in. It didn't seem like a headhunting type hit to me. Yeah, but the recklessness of it, I think, regardless of intent, is grounds for for an ejection. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the Seahawks secondary as a whole, they really have to 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 be a lot better than this because through two games, even if you want to acknowledge how much garbage time Atlanta had in Week One, they've given up what o- o- over 800 yards passing, and they're getting chewed up on early downs again. Uh, it was a problem last year where they were, I think, dead last in yards per play on first and second down. So the, the pass rush, I think, we, we'll have to admit, it's not really going to be a, a strength of this team, and we knew it coming into the season. So we were banking on the secondary playing at an all-pro level, and they hyped up post-Adams trade that this was the best secondary in the league or right up there. And I am left thoroughly unimpressed by much of the secondary play, especially in one-on-one situations. But Again, it's early in the season. They will play worse offenses at some point. Um, but that's one area where I think Seattle has got some serious concerns, especially in late-game situations. So, John, do you at least give a little bit of credit, though, to the New England Patriots offensive line? Because they do have a pretty good offensive line. And I, I had to keep reminding myself that a little bit in this game when I kept seeing Cam Newton get all kinds of time in this game. Yeah, they do have a good offensive line. Um, last year, I think they built a reputation in part because Brady always makes his offensive line look very good. And so we're going to need more games to know exactly how good it is. I mean, of course, it's entirely possible. I don't mean to be grim, but it's entirely possible that Seattle's pass rush is just that poor. Sure. Um, so I don't know exactly how good their offensive line is, but I, I know they have a very good reputation. They certainly look very good tonight. Uh, I like the I like the run fits. I like that the defensive line seems to be playing very disciplined. Um we tend to notice when a guy runs free and makes a big splash play. But I think for the most part, winning football is about doing your job and all the little plays that no one notices what you're doing, but you're right in the position you need to be. And it doesn't allow for anything kooky to happen, nothing sloppy, nothing big to happen. And so there's certainly stuff I like about that. It's certainly a good kind of team defense in that sense, that there are guys who are working well together. There's good communication. But no, it doesn't look like a particularly good defense, and I'm not sure what's going to change to make it a good defense. It's hard to say exactly how important Diggs was. hes I think he's a good player. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily a superstar, but I think there's a pretty big drop-off after him. Yeah. And uh, even though it did not necessarily look like losing Diggs was the problem, I think sometimes we can't tell uh, the effect of losing someone because instantly the defensive coordinator and We'll try to make some sort of adjustment. We'll say we don't have this player anymore, so we're going to have to run a different kind of system. Um, I certainly saw Adams in uh, man coverage and just running backwards far more than I would have liked. Right. 
And that could have been some sort of attempt to just make sure nothing gets behind him. Uh, that didn't exactly work. But so I don't know exactly which way that'll go. Uh, there was one play that I guess really stuck out to me, I think in part because I just thought it was so funny what Chris Collinsworth's analysis was. But at one point, Cam Newton was just standing back there and it was one of those, you know, he has all day kind of plays uh-huh. and he popped it off to a guy who was wide open and Collinsworth commented that he thought it was the best play Newton had made all game or maybe all year or something <laughs> like that. And it was so funny because you would certainly expect just about any quarterback to be able to make that play, but it seemed to be indicative of the problem with Seattle's defensive pressure because when Adams isn't rushing, when they're not running a blitz, it's not just that they're not getting sacks. It's that they're not really getting a lot of disruption. They don't seem to be shortening the quarterback's clock a lot. And I think that's going to become a problem. Uh, I don't know if Seattle's going to play track meets all throughout the year and that Russell Wilson's going to win the MVP on the back of a bad defense. But it's it. I don't know that you could look at today's game or look at week one and say this is a great pass rushing team or even has the potential to be a good pass rushing team. It's going to require either some creativity, some development from some players, or some kind of acquisition. Because Ben Samoa, I'm happy that he's doing well. I think he appears to be their best pass rusher on the defensive line. You know, Jaron Reed does not seem like he is regaining his ability as a pass rusher. I wonder how much of that was, you know, uh, just the attention that Frank Clark and just the stress he was putting on them by flying around the outside. But I think a lot of people expected him to be at least a major contributor. And at this point, I would say Puna Ford seems to be outperforming it, which is just not great. You know, I like Ford. I think he's a very good player, especially for someone that they got for essentially nothing for targeting his talent and giving him a chance. But I don't see a player that I think can be come any sort of star. And so it's it's certainly concerning. I mean, not every week is your offense going to have its best game. And Russell Wilson is certainly performing at a very high level, but no quarterback has ever been able to sustain this kind of level for an entire season. Um, so, yeah, there's there's probably some losses in the future when the defense collapses and the offense can't match by uh, just, you know, outscoring any team that they come up against. Well, it's going to be a real test come next week against the Cowboys, Moki, when you look at the defensive line and maybe Rasheem Green needs another week to get right. He was out this game. If Bruce Irvin is out again next week, is Alton Robinson finally going to get a call up to to play in the game because he's a healthy scratch once again? And after all the hype in the preseason, we still didn't see him in week two, even with Rasheem Green being out this week. Yeah, I think we have to learn that every year there's going to be some player who's hyped up to the to the highest degree by Pete Carroll and the coaching staff and then ends up being a healthy scratch about half the season. So Alton Robinson and DJ Dallas get to to share that honor because Dallas was inactive on the offensive side of the ball. but. Yeah, Seattle's defensive line problem is really not just the fact that their current depth, even at full strength, is is really not impressive, but they're banged up. Irvin's injured. Alton Robinson's been inactive through two weeks. Green, we don't know when he's going to come back. Daryl Taylor is on the uh, uh, non-football injury list, so he's gone for half the season. So there are a lot of, of real question marks, and especially when they're playing a lot of mobile quarterbacks. So Prescott is not this super mobile quarterback compared to um, Lamar Jackson, for example, but he can beat you with his legs. So can Kyler Murray. And boy, don't we know that watching him these first two weeks and then uh, e- even watching this defense struggle to deal with Brett Hundley's legs last year. Um, I just want to add to something John said about the defensive line, a little uh, factoid here that I think is partially how bad the Seahawks defensive line has been and just questionable officiating. 
the Seahawks have now gone eight consecutive games without an opposing offense committing a holding penalty. Now, wow. I think a lot of it is warranted that they're just too, too not good enough that they're unable to even command some sort of uh, dominance to, to draw a holding penalty. But Jaron Reed was hogtied right up around the neck sometime in <laughs> yes. the second quarter. And the refs just kept their whistles, whistles and well, not their whistles, but they kept the flag in the pocket. So um, yeah. when that's not happening, that means that the opposing team can't get behind schedule and they can't face second and 12 or second and 19. And those are real killers when you're trying to get off the field. Uh, to, to, to your point about the Cowboys, now the Cowboys ended up with that miraculous win over the Atlanta Falcons, although it's the Falcons. So at this point, are these wins even miraculous anymore? It's, you expect complete collapse uh, from that team. But the Cowboys lost uh, Tyron Smith to injury, I think, before the game started. So they were down both tackles. I don't know if that will be the case next week, but at least they banged up offensive line. If there's no Tyron Smith and then they got that rookie um, Steele, I think is his name, Terrence Steele, right tackle, that should provide an opportunity for the Seahawks to at least feast and harass Prescott. Um, the only uh, issue I have would actually be the run defense because the run defense was really good today. Uh, stopping yeah. the running backs. I think the Patriots running backs only had 22 yards and 13 carries, something like that. But Elliott is the type of back that they really have problems with. And he, even if he doesn't have in a very efficient day, he can always turn a, a one-yard gain into four or five yards and, and keep those legs churning. So it's something they got to be very wary of. But uh, in terms of that Dallas defense, though, not good at all. So I'm hoping that Seattle's offense can continue uh, their excellent start to the season and if it's going to be another track meet um i'll like i'll take my chances against dallas we might be in for another shootout next week and yeah hopefully that rushing defense can hold up against the cowboys uh, the way it did against the new england patriots this week because i had my question marks with the seahawks ability to stop the run and watching the way new england ran it against miami last week a notoriously bad defensive line I, I had my concerns there, but who knew that Cam Newton was just going to come out and uh, throw for almost 400 yards with 180 of those going to Julian Edelman. Yeah, and that's a career high in yards for Edelman. So, uh, and that's <laughs> wow. he's not that type of player. The, the number of deep shots that Newton took, I'm happy for Cam Newton because I think people just wrote him off a little bit too early. Now, there was some justifiable pause because of his injury history and the fact that he just might be washed. But New England basically got him for nothing. And now they have a, a pretty, not even a pretty capable, a more than capable starting quarterback to succeed Tom Brady. And that should at least keep him in the playoff hunt, if not challenging for the AFC East. But he, yeah, with Newton and Seattle, it, it, it's always a case where he, he's just one play or two plays short because so often Carolina would play Seattle down to the wire. His first game with New England, and they go to Seattle down to the wire, but usually it ends in a loss for him. The Seahawks take on the Dallas Cowboys next week on Sunday at 125 Pacific start time. John, before we get out of here, any thoughts looking ahead toward next week's game? Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I think the Seahawks are certainly the better team. Um, I think that uh, it's easy to just kind of look at the Cowboys on paper and say that they must have an exceptional offense, but I think we'll see. I think that oftentimes it's not obvious why an offense isn't working. Uh, so I, I'd like to get a better look at them and really get in you know, an honest uh, kind of evaluation. Uh, Atlanta just completely collapsed. But, you know, Atlanta was the was last at the NFL and DVOA last week. I mean, it was, you know, of course, it's just one game. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a bad defense. It's And it's an especially bad passing defense. Uh, but, you know, I think the Seahawks should be expected to win. I think that uh, there's always a danger of just kind of 
kind of talking yourself out of the win, thinking that, uh, you know, the other team is going to really, you know, just show up in a way that's going to target all of your greatest weaknesses. Um, but, I th- you know, Seattle has shown that they have a, a winning formula. I know that's kind of a, you know, that's more than kind of a cliche. I mean, it is a cliche. But what I say, why I say that is I think that they have designed a team that will consistently be able to give themselves an edge. Um, I think that even though run defense seems like it's often unimportant, when you watch a game, it does not prove to be unimportant. I mean, watching Collier just bench press a dude and go after Newton on the game deciding play. I think that one of the things that we underestimate about this defensive line is that, yes, they're not good pass rushers. And we tend to determine the value of a defensive line by sack totals and otherwise, you know, just how their reputation as pass rushers. But I think that they have a lot of potential as run stoppers. Uh, Seattle's kind of made this formula work before where it seemed like there were guys that should be pass rushers, but they were oversized run stoppers. And uh, I think they can do that again. You know, sometimes instead of getting a good pass rush, it's enough to get teams into bad down and distances and just win, you know, win the game overall. Allow for some long completions, certainly look uh, embarrassingly inept at times at rushing the passer. And yet at the end of the day, you end up with a winning game. And so I don't know. I think that uh, the Cowboys are certainly dangerous and they certainly are intimidating in a way with all their big names uh, and all their wide receivers. And I agree with Mookie, uh, Ezekiel Elliott's going to really test the run defense. And I don't know that we can necessarily say how good the run defense is yet because, you know, Todd Gurley is an unknown quantity. He seems to be deep in decline. Um, the Patriots were just kind of patching holes when it came to the rushing game. So, you know, it's 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 an awfully important game. Uh, every game is important, but it's important for giving getting a really good read on what this defense is capable of because no matter how good the offense is, teams basically have to be a great team to win the Super Bowl or have to get stupendously lucky. And since I don't want to count on luck, I'd like to see enough from the defense that what looks to be a top five offense, maybe even the best offense in the NFL, it's way premature. But let's just wish cast here and just say what could be. It's going to still need some kind of defense. And so it's going to be a big test. Uh, I never count on turnovers. They're obviously very fluky. But I do like that it does seem like they're playing good team defense. And even though there aren't a lot of guys that we might call dynamic playmaker or whatever such thing. There are guys who are doing their jobs consistently. And I think that after a while that begins to stack up. And so I don't know. I think that after a couple of games that seemed a little bit more close than maybe they should be Seattle, if they are the contender, I think they're capable of being have a laugh around. And I think they have some game where they're going to not just outplay their opponent, but also get the breaks. And I'd like that to be this week. And I think it's possible. The Seahawks go to two and O on the season after this game against the New England Patriots. John, want to thank you for coming on. Mookie, appreciate you coming on as well. Anything coming up on field goals this week that uh, people really need to know about? Yeah, a lot of celebratory articles for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and enemy reaction, of course, uh, winners and losers, all that good stuff. I know John has got a lot of uh, stuff that he's working on, including a post on David Moore. So uh, this is not going to be a downer week, that's for sure check it out. It's all going to be up at fieldgoals.com. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, sbnation.com slash NFL podcast and get your ins and outs into Clinton Bonner at Clinton Bond on Twitter. Be sure and tag him and use the hashtag 3i3o. Gentlemen, thanks once again. We will be back here breaking down the game coming up next with 3in3out with Clinton Bonner. We'll talk to you then. Go Hawks! Go Hawks!